In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is Thank you. I heard a little vo- little voices. Beloved in Christ, today we're we're at the midpoint of Great and Holy Lent. The midpoint. I just realized on Friday that for those in the uh, the, the Western Christians, Friday was Holy Friday for them, and today is Easter for them. It's hard to it's hard to believe when you're when you're in the Orthodox paradigm. They're celebrating. Hopefully, they're celebrating well well, with a deep heart, the holy resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not just with an insatiable desire for food like we often do. I hope that they celebrate with joy the beautiful and perfect holy resurrection of our Lord. But as for us, here we are at the midpoint of Great Lent, and we, we know it is because it's the Sunday of the cross. And the Sunday of the cross always comes to lift us up at the midpoint of the season in a strange manner. Just like our Lord was lifted up on the cross, not just to die, but to bring life. So now we enter into that paradoxical reality of our life in Christ while striving to understand what, it, what the implication of this thing is for us, which I'm holding in my hand. The, a little version of the cross with Christ hanging upon it. You know, the season of Great Lent is traditionally a time of preparation for baptism. The catechumens have always used this as a time for deepening their faith, of preparing for the most important decision of their lives to say, to answer yes, I do unite myself to him when they're asked of the priest, do you you unite yourself with Christ? It's a big decision to make that statement, especially to to become orthodox. What a radical way of life, what a countercultural way. a way that the world does not understand. And I would venture to say that the world doesn't understand this either. This cross of our Lord, as the catechumens are preparing for their reception into the church by holy baptism, by renouncing Satan and by proclaiming their desire to be united to Christ, Each and every one of us who are members of the holy body of Christ, his church. We are enjoined to renew our baptism. To remember why we fell in love with him. Remember thy first love. And then to await and long for the celebration of great and holy Pascha, of the resurrection of our Lord, as if it were our first time. Think about the joy and the excitement and the fear, you know, the, the trembling, but also the excitedness with which those who are to be illumined are getting ready for their 
reception to the church, remember your own, the joy of your baptism. And if you're very small and you don't remember that time, today is a time to get to know, to go deeper in an understanding of what it means to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Regarding the cross, today I want to make two points. One for, for each of the beams of the cross. I was thinking about that during Orthros today. I'll make just two points today for the Feast of the Adoration of the Cross. One for each beam. And then I thought, well, there is a sign up top. And, and then there is a footstool, you know. So maybe I could do four. But I'll stick with two today. Really, the message of the cross is, <laughs> reveals to us that we cannot save ourselves. There's a story of a man named Klaus. Klaus, who was born during World War II, German. Brought into a world that his mother did not want to bring him into. <laughs> a child that his mother did not want to have. Nonetheless, she brought him into the world. Due to war, desolation all around them, they were always on the move, surrounded by turmoil, pain. Driven by necessity, but necessity for what? Endless toil? To live another day, to suffer a little more. He knew that his mother would have preferred not to have him, but she held on to him. She held on to him jealously, as if he were her only possession. Not to love him, but again as one bound by necessity, not freedom. And he knew that. And... Resulting from that lack of love that he had in his life. He had no sense of purpose. So he spent his childhood pushing the limits of those around him. Testing all the rules. He came to be known as a rabble-rouser, a troublemaker. He even started take, getting blamed for, for things that he didn't even do. Didn't matter. He didn't care. And at one point his mother gave him away to stay with a Catholic priest who abused him. And he became even more angry. He spent his young adulthood in promiscuity, experimenting with drugs. Any form of escape, but escape wasn't enough for him. He needed control. So angry. So angry. And for him, it wouldn't have been enough to die. He wanted vengeance, revenge. He dabbled in the occult mind control. 
He became an expert manipulator. He could get almost anyone to do what he wanted them to do. So angry. And he felt like his only recourse for the terrible life that he had lived was to gain as much control as possible. But one day he came to the terrible realization. The last thing that he did not have control over was death. He could control others, but he could not control death. He wanted to put, he wanted to be able to kill death, he said in his, in his own words. He wanted to be able to kill death. And he realized that he didn't know how to. For a man to face death, to confront it, to think about it is to be overwhelmed by its inevitability unless you're constantly trying to escape it. But for him, escapism wasn't enough. He needed more. There was no way to prevent it to, to, to delay it, I think in his mind, just meant another kind of you know, type of weakness, to delay the inevitable. He was at a total impasse. Total impasse. Because he realized that man could not kill death, but man was utterly, totally subjected to the reality of it. And that he would die in this weakness, that he would die in this failure to seek vengeance upon a, a world that had been so hostile to him, that he would die a failure. And what happened? He discovered this. He discovered that while man does not have the power to kill death, the God who became man did that very thing. He did what we could not do. He bore the consequences of our decisions. He took upon us all of our sorrows and not out of anger and desperation like we would rail against death out of pride and brokenness. But he took death upon himself out of utter love for humanity. A man who had been despised and hated and who had come to hate life. A misanthrope. Encountered in Christ the fulfillment of of that incredible, eternal void within himself. And he found in Christ the answer to his desire to kill death. He didn't need to kill death because death had already been despoiled when the God-man went to the cross. Despoiled Hades and rose again 
that all who might believe in him would rise as well. That's my first point, that we can't kill death, but Christ has and he will in us if we decide to follow him and trust in him. And the second beautiful point that I want to make is this today. Our first parents fell into sin by transgressing God and eating the fruit of a tree. The fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, we've talked about this prematurely. Seeking to be God without God. Falling into delusion and lying to themselves. Not trusting in Him. And the antidote to that problem for us is to eat the fruit of another tree. A tree that has taken the place of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree that our first parents chose to use to turn away from God. And now we turn toward this tree that has been planted in its place, the tree of the cross. And what fruit has been born from the tree of the cross? The fruit of the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of which, if we become partakers, He will become alive in us. He will vivify us. He will renew us. He will enliven us. He'll give us hope. He'll meet us so that we can know Him perfectly. That's the second point that I want to make on this beautiful and challenging, wonderful paradoxical feast of the adoration of the cross. The cross reveals to us the means by which death has been overcome. And the cross is the tree on which the true fruit of life is made available to us because of his broken body and spilled blood. We can become partakers of the divine nature. And that's why, that's why we love this little, this little, this little symbol, this little piece of wood that would just be a cutting from a tree otherwise. We love it. We love the cross because of what was accomplished on it. We love the cross because it's the perfect, when you look at the cross, especially with our Lord hanging upon it, like, like on this one, you see perfect love revealed. That's why we love and honor the cross. And we love the cross because the Lord has, through it, revealed to us our way of life too, 
our way of life. He didn't die so that we could avoid any sorrow. But he didn't die in order to cause us to escape the challenges of life, but he died so that we could love with the love with which we have been loved. And that's what it means, beloved in Christ, to take up our cross and follow him. May we find ourselves lifted up in a strange and paradoxical way at this midpoint of great and holy Lent and desire with all of our hearts to understand what it means without question, with a kind of reckless abandon. May God inspire us and give us boldness to heed that call, that whosoever would come after him, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Amen.